Good morning to you all. Thank you. <laughs> Special welcome to our guests. We have a lot of uh, guests of family, and we're glad to have you all with us. Every two years in July, my extended family gets together at my Uncle Greg's house in Wabash, Indiana. By extended family, I mean second cousins and third cousins and third cousins twice removed and uncle-in-laws. Have you ever been to a reunion like that? The first time I attended one of these family reunions as an adult, I bet I didn't know 70% of the people there. Not only did I not know their names, I didn't even recognize their faces. Have you ever been the stranger at the family reunion? Have you ever been a, a stranger at a gathering where everyone else seemed to know each other but you? That's kind of what it feels like reading our scripture passage for today. We feel like we're the stranger at someone else's family reunion. Everyone else seems to know each other, and we're just kind of listening in from the outside. Uh, in a moment, we'll read Philippians 2, and we'll overhear this conversation at this family reunion between a, a guy named Paul and his friends. Paul's a guy that some of us know a little bit about, maybe even a lot about, and his friends, the Philippian church, we hardly know anything about them. So as we listen in, we're going to be like the stranger at the reunion, and, and we're going to hear this guy talking about two other people that, that, are, that are there at the reunion, just, just across the lawn. As we listen in, we're going to hear Paul talking about them in a very uh, esteemed way. He speaks very highly of these two people. Two people named Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, it's obvious that the friends that Paul's talking to, they know who these folks are, but, but we, we wouldn't even recognize them if we saw them on the street. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't check out the conversation. I want us to, to lean in to the conversation, even though we don't know the, the characters. These, these two characters, Paul speaks of them so highly. He talks about their authenticity and their humility. He speaks of their selfless love and their genuine concern for others and even their, their willingness to die for a just cause greater than themselves. I don't know about you, but as I hear about people like that, I want to be around them more. I want to see if it's really true, all this hype about their character. If it's, if it's true, then I want to find ways to be around people like that. Maybe even some of their character will rub off on me. Lord knows I need it. I don't know about you, but when I find people that inspire me, I want to be around them more. I need people like this in my life. People that inspire me, and I, I think you do too. So we are going to go find these two people in our scripture text today, listening to the conversation that Paul's having with, with the church in Philippi. We might feel like a stranger at the family reunion, but trust me, these two folks are worth knowing. So a quick note on the scripture reading. Uh, I'm going to, to read just a little bit before the conversation about these two guys starts. Last week we left off in verse 11, and that's where we'll pick up. We're going through the letter of 
Philippians, if you're, if you're new with us today. Uh, the, the section that I, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna read, but I won't touch on, uh, you can find a sermon on that section on our website under the date May 20th, if you're interested. Today, I wanna, I wanna focus on the, the Christ-like examples that we encounter in these two guys. So let's hear God's word now, and as always, let us pray before so that we might hear it rightly. Join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, our example of love, teach us how to love one another with humility and genuine concern. Dear Holy Spirit, the life force of God within us, change our desires to better reflect the desires of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, the one who loves us no matter what, Open our eyes to see all that you've done for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God of grace, be for us what we cannot be for ourselves, and speak through your word to us this morning. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 12. Listen for what God is saying to us today. Therefore, my beloved. Just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine, in which you shine like stars in the world. It's by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, and in the same way you also must be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered of news about you. I have, I have no one like him who genuinely is concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know, how like a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I also will see you soon. Still, I think it's necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for all of you, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to, to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious Welcome him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, 
because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the services that you could not give me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are role models for the first century church in Philippi. God has shaped and refined their character so they truly reflect the character of Jesus Christ. God gives the church in Philippi these two Christ-like models. And God says to the Christians in Philippi, Church, learn how to love by following their example. So let's consider these two examples. We'll do so in reverse order. First, Epaphroditus. Everyone say Epaphroditus with me on the count of three, would you? Ready? One, two, three. Epaphroditus. What a name. Anybody uh, name their son Epaphroditus, huh? I don't know. No? (laughs) Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He's the hometown boy in the story. He, he came from the church in Philippi, and Paul's sending him back to the church in Philippi. By all appearances, he's the reason we have this letter from Paul in the first place. As far as we can tell, the church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus, one of their own, to Paul while he's in prison. And he, they send to him to Paul while he's in prison, not just to say hello. It's to keep Paul alive. As we've said before, prisoners in these days did not have a meal plan. If the prisoner was going to eat, then the prisoner better have friends. And thankfully, Paul has friends. It's his friends in Philippi that send Epaphroditus with gifts, presumably things like food and and bandages, perhaps. It's It's a care package. Maybe even it includes a pen and a paper so that he can write to them. Now, at the end of the letter, Paul says, thank you for all of these gifts. And it's quite remarkable the way that he says, thank you. We'll learn more about that in three weeks. For now, just imagine Paul sitting around his prison cell one day, waiting for for something to happen, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And then this guy... Epaphroditus shows up. It makes Paul so joyful and grateful to God. And it's not just the stuff that the church sends that makes Paul so happy. The greatest gift, according to Paul, that they send is Epaphroditus himself. He is a man whom Paul calls my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, your representative who serves my needs. Paul even Paul even recollects a time when Epaphroditus risked his life and almost died for the work of Christ and for Paul's sake. So, when Paul sees Epaphroditus, he is deeply encouraged, and he feels the need to send him back to the folks in Philippi because Paul knows just how much they need someone like that around someone who is truly Christ-like, someone who is a role model for them. No, he's not perfect, but he truly does show people how to live in love like Jesus, even if it's imperfectly. This is someone from whom they can learn 
how to love simply by observing what he's doing. Friends, that's important. It's vitally important for us to have examples in our lives, isn't it? To have someone in our lives that inspire us, that inspire us to become a better version of ourselves, that inspires us to become more like Christ. It's important to have someone to show us how things are done. Do you have someone like this in your life? Friends, how important do you think it is for you to have these kinds of exemplars in your life? Contemporary social science says it's crucial. We all need examples. Consider this quote from Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell is an author of a book, Tipping Point, a book that was named one of the best books of the decade, and he's also a Christian. Listen to this little nugget of wisdom from from Gladwell. He says, we learn by example and by direct experience because there are real limits to the adequacy of verbal instruction. We learn by example. Say we learn by example. Can you say that? We learn by what? By We learn by example and by direct experience because there are real limits to the adequacy of verbal instruction. Now that's good for a preacher to hear. (laughs) There are real limits to what I'm doing every single week as I get in front of you. We learn by example and by direct experience. For this reason, Paul sends Epaphrodites back to Philippi, not just to teach them through verbal instruction, but through the instruction of his life. It's through his example that they are to learn how to truly live the best life possible. So at this point, I want each of us to ask ourselves three questions. We'll return to these after we talk about Timothy, but I want us to have them in view now. Three questions to reflect on as honestly as we can. Question number one. Do you have people in your life like Epaphrodites? People who, people who are pouring into you, helping you grow into the best version of yourself, helping you grow into Christ our Lord. Do you have people in your life who, who are Christ-like in character, worthy of imitation, people, people teaching you how to live well? I, I pray... I pray that each of us does. If you have a pen, and there should be one in front of your chair, I encourage you to to get it, to write down the name or names that come to mind. Who are the people that are pouring into you to help you become the best version of yourself? Write it with your hand, or at least write it in your mind. Keep it in front of you. Who are these folks? Now on to question number two. Are you like Epaphroditus to someone else? In other words, who are you pouring into? For whom would you put your neck on the line? Who do you genuinely care about? And you'd do just about anything to ensure their well-being. Who are these people? If it helps, write it down or just write it in that old noggin of yours. Finally, question number three. When you're pouring into others, what is it that you're pouring into them? 
what, what is it? Is it the fresh water or is it salt water? On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that what you're pouring into them is the fresh water of the Spirit of God? The kind of water that grows a young, tender plant into maturity? Or might it be salt water? The kind of water that the world drinks every day. The water of fear and envy, pride and prejudice. Salt water serves only to shrivel and stunt a plant's growth. So what's in the water that we are pouring into others? On a scale of of 1 to 10, how confident are you that the stuff you're pouring into others is the good stuff of the Spirit? So those are our three questions. Who's pouring into you? Who are you pouring into? And what are you pouring? We'll go back to those in a bit. First, I wanted to look at our, our second example that God word, God's Word gives to us today. The second example is Timothy. Timothy's a guy we know a little bit more about, according to Scripture. His name is mentioned 25 times in the New Testament, which actually ranks him among the top of those not named Jesus or Paul in the New Testament. Tradition has it that Timothy became the first bishop, the first leader, Christian leader, of a city called Ephesus. It's a port city in modern-day Turkey. Now, two of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, are, they're, they're written directly to this guy named Timothy. Trivia question, what are the two books in the Bible called? First and Second Timothy. That's creative, isn't it? <laughs> now, we even know a little bit about Timothy's family of origin. Your family says a lot about who you are. Acts 16, verse 1, the first time we meet Timothy, we're told that he's the son of a Jewish mother who believes Jesus is the world's savior. And he's also the son of a Greek father who doesn't believe Jesus is who he says he is. So Timothy grows up in a spiritually divided family. Do any of you know what it's like to grow up in a spiritually divided family? As Timothy grows up, he becomes more persuaded by the example of his Christian mother than by the example of his non-Christian father. So Timothy becomes a Jesus follower at at a young age, and now one day, he's maybe 16 or 17. Raise your hand if you're maybe 16 or 17. Thanks, Larry. (laughs) Picture picture someone who's 16 or 17. Well, yeah, I won't call him out by name, but he's handsome. Picture young Timothy, okay? And uh, he meets this revered teacher named Paul. Paul's on one of his speaking tours, traveling around, and it just so happens that this renowned figure, Paul, stops by a little village named Lystra, where Timothy grew up. After hearing the young man's story, Paul adopts Timothy as a sort of spiritual father. Paul becomes his mentor, and Timothy becomes Paul's traveling companion. Now, over time, Timothy, who who was, is pretty timid and shy at first. Over time, 
he learns how to follow Jesus courageously. He learns how to put on the character of Christ. He learns this not just by what Paul tells him, but by what Paul shows him. It's by interacting with Paul on a daily basis that Timothy learns how to follow Jesus. Remember the Malcolm Gladwell quote, we learn by example and by direct experience because there are real limits to the adequacy of verbal instruction. So by an act of grace, God gives little Timothy a Christ-like example to imitate. That's Paul. And through Paul's words, young Timothy learns what life is really about. Young Timothy learns what the good life really consists of. He learns not only what Jesus teaches, but how to actually obey what Jesus teaches. Again, he learns this not by reading ancient philosophy, nor by taking copious notes in the lecture hall. He learns how to follow Jesus by the example of Paul's life. This is good news to us, isn't it? I think more of us would rather follow someone around that we respect than sit in a lecture hall taking notes, am I right? Let's be honest. If following Jesus rested solely on our ability to understand difficult concepts, then most of us be hard-pressed to follow Jesus. But the good news of Jesus and why it's called good news to the poor is this. All it takes to follow Jesus is to welcome the Christ-like examples God gives us and then do as they do. So, Paul urges the church in Philippi when talking about Epaphroditus, welcome him in the Lord and honor such people. Friends, for those in your life that you thought of in question number one, the people who are pouring into you, welcome them and honor such people, learning from their example. Do you have role models like Timothy had Paul, or like the church of Philippi had Timothy and Epaphroditus? I pray you do. Paul goes on to contrast Timothy's character with the character of others. You see, Timothy was not the only example that the church in Philippi had. They had other examples, other Christian leaders trying to influence them. Paul says this about these other leaders. He says in verse 21, all of them are seeking their own interests, not the interests of Christ. Another translation reads, all of them put their own business ahead of Jesus Christ's business. In other words, they're using their influence to pour into this young church of Philippi but what they are pouring is salt water. And Paul advises them, don't take in the salt water. Take in the fresh water of the spirit of love that young Timothy has to pour into you. These other folks, they're interested in career advancement and popularity. The admiration of others is important. The growth of their own little kingdoms is important. These folks, they might have some wonderful things to say, and they might be able to say it with remarkable talent, but they're nothing compared to Timothy, according to Paul. I have no one like him, Paul says. 
for he's the one with Christ-like character. He's the one you can count on to genuinely care for you. He's not just a leader, Timothy. He's a pastor. He's the one who does nothing for selfish purposes, but with humility considers others as better than himself. Friends, we need to surround ourselves with people like that. Like a son with a Paul, like a son with a father, Paul writes, he served with me in the work of the gospel. We need to surround ourselves with people who have a clear focus on furthering the mission of Jesus in their lives. Yeah? So we return to our three questions, and we'll close with these. Question number one, who is pouring into you? Huh? Who are your role models? Whatever age you are, we all need role models. We all need people in our lives that inspire us, people that show us what the good life is really all about. And not just any kind of inspiration will do. We need people who inspire us to live and to love like Jesus. People who inspire us, not just to pursue our own dreams, but God's dreams for the world. Do you have these kind of people in your life? If so, and I imagine many of you do, I urge you to find ways to be around them more. Humble yourself and reach out to them, buy them lunch, and I trust that at least one or two of them will have the time and the eagerness to spend more time with you. When uh, Stephanie and I were in seminary, we met some of the most extraordinary people, professors of ours, people whose minds were more brilliant than I'll ever know, and yet whose hearts were tender with compassion for the poorest of the poor, and people who paid close attention to little seminarians like us. It's on account of them, not just what they taught, though that was important, but it's what I learned from their way of life that was most important. That was the most significant formation and education that we had. And all I wanted to do was surround myself with David Stubbs, surround myself with with Todd Billings, surround myself with George Hunsberger, these giants in the faith. I wanted to be with them and learn how to follow Jesus like them. I pray that you have those people in your life and that you have the same passion and eagerness to surround yourself with them. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that so many people don't have anyone like this in their lives. Instead, for some of these people, it's not their choice in some ways, but their role models happen to be fathers who are too busy with their own interests or, or mothers who'd rather spend time with their new boyfriend than their own daughters. The role models perhaps are celebrities, people skilled in acting or athletics, but terribly unskilled in the game of life. We look to these people and we're absorbing their way of life into ours without even realizing it. We're patterning our lives after their lives. And the result is that so many people are ruining their lives 
without intending to do so. Lord Jesus, give us role models worthy of imitation. Give us people who inspire us, who stir us toward love and good deeds. And when we find them, give us the courage and the humility to seek them out, to learn from them, to learn how to live and love like Jesus from their example. Question number two, who are you pouring into? Who looks up to you as a role model? Imagine a tender young plant and a watering pot. Imagine the young plant is someone you have the power to influence. Maybe it's a child or a grandkid. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe you're the upperclassman and maybe it's a freshman. Whoever it is, think about them as, as a plant. And, and you, you are the one, you're holding the watering pot. What's in here is influence. Each of you have the power to influence someone. Who is it that you are influencing? Now, what do you do with the pot? What do you do with, with your ability to influence others? Do you use it to further your own interests? Or do you use it to further what's in their best interests, which is the interest of Jesus? What do you do with your pot of influence? You have influence, we all do. Do you use it to pour the love of Jesus into the lives of these tender young plants? Or do you keep the water to yourself, perhaps giving yourself a shower? Lord Jesus, forgive us for the misuse of our power and influence. Make us worthy of imitation to our kids and our grandkids, to our neighbors and their kids. Give us the energy to get out there with our influence. Give us the strength and the courage to take our buckets and start watering all the little shriveled plants we see. You know the world needs it. May we water them with the pure water of your spirit of love. This leads us to the last question, question number three. What kind of water is in your pot? Is it the fresh water of the Spirit, the water of, of selfless love, the water of joy, the water of peace and patience, the water of faithfulness and self-control? Is that the water that's in your pot? Or is it the salty water of this world, the water that is so easy to drink all the time. It's the water of judgmentalism and negativity, the water of worry and hurry, the water of prejudice, the water of envy, the water of self-centeredness. Is it the water of the spirit that's in your pot, or is it the water of the world? My friends, we are all leaders was just at a leadership conference called the Global Leadership Summit. About 450,000 people watched this thing all over the world. They drove this point home over and over again. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And we all have influence over someone or something. So what are we doing with our influence? Are we using it to further a just cause the cause of Jesus Christ for the very redemption of our world, or are we keeping it for ourselves? 
one last thought. We can only pour out the water that's in our bucket, yeah. We cannot pour out what we don't have, but what we do have. So what determines the quality and the quantity of the water that we have? We could wait for the rain, right? That will give us water. Water comes from a source other than ourselves. So we could wait for the rain, but we don't want to just be people holding buckets anywhere. We want to position ourselves uh, strategically. We want to position ourselves to catch as much rain as possible. Hear what I'm saying? This means surrounding ourselves with people who inspire us, people that don't drag us down. It means keeping company with those who keep company with Christ. It means humbling ourselves enough to become open vessels, receptive to the wisdom of the Christ-like models that God has given to us to imitate. Can we do that? Can we position ourselves to receive the water of Christ? And more than that, and here's the, the really good news, it's not just up to us to position ourselves appropriately, but we have the very source of living water attached to us. Our metaphor gets a little fuzzy here. Stick with me. Jesus Christ is living water. By the grace of God, we have access to Jesus himself. And the good news is that by an act of sheer mercy, God unites us to Christ, putting in us the Holy Spirit of love, like a, like a wellspring within us. It's like God permanently attaches a hose to our bucket. We're connected to the very water source, the the source of all living things. My friends, that means we'll never run out of water. We just have to tap into it. We've got to allow the the sprayer to be on to receive the the life-giving water of Jesus. There's always more water to pour into others as long as we're attached to Jesus Christ, the wellspring of life itself. So may we be nourished by God and by others, and may we go out and nourish others with the spirit that Jesus gives us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.